you're listening to the Woman of Value podcast. You are about to hear the story of a woman who is following her dreams and passions and creating positive change in the world. By the end of the Camino, after 29 days of picking up stones and setting them down, I really felt like I was in a state of grace, that I had let go of all the heaviness, the and, and sorrow comes in, you know, many different ways. Um, and it's not all bad. It's, it's just, you know, maybe, maybe life things that, that I was carrying. And I set them all down on the Camino. And that gave me the freedom to then just look closely at my authentic self and see the person that I was and the, the real person that I was and start to understand that person again and, and, and walk back to her. My guest today is Sue Regan Kenny. She was downsized and left the comfort of her life to walk the Camino. She covered 800 kilometers alone in the winter. And we're saying kilometers because she's from Canada. So we'll have to figure out what that is in miles, but uh, maybe Sue can tell us. And on that journey, she came to understand her purpose. Her first book, My Camino, is now in development as a feature film. Sue lives a natural barefoot lifestyle and is a Wim Hof method instructor. We're going to find out what that is, too, in just a minute. So welcome, Sue. Oh, thank you so much. By the way, 800 kilometers is 500 miles. Wow. Wow. So was it like cold yeah. winter, warm winter? What was the weather? It was cold. We had snow. Uh, it was, uh, there was actually a storm about two days behind me that seemed to follow me for about two weeks. And then, uh, and then it got a little bit better, but yeah, I had every kind of weather you could possibly imagine. Mm. Uh, but I did walk in November and December. And, um, the thing is in the winter, especially when I walked, um, there aren't that many pilgrims walking. So you spend a lot of time alone and, uh, being, cold and damp and alone is is a different kind of experience yeah i can imagine so i'd like you to take us deeper into this moment like what made you decide to do this and how did you manage all those miles and kilometers alone and you know <laughs> what did you discover about yourself so yeah take us into that moment at the time i was a, an account executive of lucent technology so i was working in the corporate world, I had a career, a 20 plus year career in the corporate world um, in telecommunications. And so that was kind of my life um, as far as working and my career. I had three, um, well, I have three daughters um, and at the time they were all teenagers uh, and I was a single mom, so I was pretty busy. And I also rode competitively. So I trained five or six times a week, early, early in the morning at five in the morning. So my life was fast, and I thought that's the way you lived. You did everything fast and got a lot done. And then one day I walked into work on a Monday morning, and I was called into the office. Um, and um, the vice president of marketing at the time informed me that I was being downsized and that I no longer had a job. And they had me you know, sign a release. They gave me some money, of course, to, to send me away and 
and so that I wouldn't, you know, um, uh, sue them or anything like that. And then I just, uh, you know, walked out with all my worldly belongings that I had in my desk drawer. And I drove home and thought, oh my gosh, what do I do now? I, you know, my life, is, my career life has always been working in the corporate world, but now I had a chance to make a significant change. And at the time I had seen um, a documentary film about the Camino, which is a medieval pilgrimage route in Spain. And um, I thought, gee, whenever I have a big problem in my life, what I would do is, you know, take the dog for a walk. And usually after I'd, you know, walked for half an hour, an hour, my problems were sorted out. But this time it was going to be a really big problem because I had to figure out what was I supposed to be doing in the world? Like, what is the whole point of, you know, being here? And I started to really question my value and what I was contributing. And that, of course, would take a longer walk. So that's when I decided that I wanted to walk the Camino <laughs> and that wow. it would take 500 miles, you know, for me to sort out this problem. Mm -hmm. Well, I just wanted to yeah, say that fast, the fast life to go from everything being super fast. And, and this is where so many of us live, you know, in this place of busyness and you got to do everything quickly and get as much done as possible. And then to go from that to yeah. the contrast of slow it all down and be by yourself. And oh my God, what a contrast. It was a huge contrast. And the whole idea of, you know, going on a journey, a real journey, when you, you know, actually leave the ordinary world and go to a place that isn't familiar, um, that's what I did. I, I couldn't speak the language. I didn't really have a guidebook. Um, I had a list of, uh, of refugios or albergues uh, that were open in the winter, which was very few because they often closed um, around October 15th. So I uh, had this list and I had read that there were yellow arrows painted all along the way and that for me to get to the destination, which is um, Santiago, Spain, uh, because it's called El Camino de Santiago de Compostela, which means the way to the remains of St. James the Apostle or the, the way to the, to the burial place of St. James the Apostle. And that was the destination. And to get there, I could just follow yellow arrows. And so I thought, oh, well, this is perfect because I'm not really spatial. <laughs> I don't like following maps. But yellow arrows, <laughs> you know, I could do that. Uh, so that's what uh, sent me off five weeks after the day I was downsized. And I put a backpack on, got myself some new boat boots and uh, equipment, filled up my backpack with way too many things and, um, you know, set out on my journey. And it was truly a journey that changed my life. So it sounds like a Cheryl Strayed wild moment that you had there just setting out and going off into the wilderness. And so did you come up with some of the same kinds of obstacles where maybe the equipment was wrong or there was pain or, you know, what are, what are some of the things that you came up against? Well, first of all, my backpack was too heavy. It was about 25 pounds. And um, the very first day that I walked, I had to 
climb the Pyrenees Mountains, really. Um, and um, so uh, I think it was almost four or 5,000 feet, and it was 26 kilometers. It was a brutal day. Uh, and after that day, uh, you know, I, I, I had to get rid of things that were in my backpack because it was just too much, uh, too much weight. And so the journey uh, really was about, the first few days was really about getting accustomed to the idea of, you know, living a life that just includes walking every day. Uh, it's something I had never really done. I, I thought walking was for slow people. So um, <laughs> the idea of walking every day was, <laughs> yeah, was a real adjustment. And so I had to um, learn what it was like to be a pilgrim. And, um, and I'm talking about a pilgrim in you know, more of a spiritual sense, not the religious sense, but, um, and a pilgrim's life is very, very simple. Each day you walk, you drink a bit of water, you eat, you talk to other pilgrims, maybe you meet villagers, you find a place to stay, you don't book your accommodation ahead of time, you just show up in a village and hope that there's some place to stay. And then you usually sleep in a bunk bed with it. And at that time, there was no heat. And in a lot of places, there was no hot water. So I had to shower in cold water and sleep all night in my sleeping bag without any heat in the room. And so there were many obstacles to overcome because I was quite used to a, you know, a comfortable life. And what I learned was that um, by walking each day, I could let go of the things that I held on to tightly uh, at home, the, the, the comforts, the conveniences, the, um, you know, just the daily ritual at home was very, very different than what it was on the Camino. Mm. And so, yes, I, I accomplished so much just, just walking and not having responsibilities gave me the chance to think quite differently about things. But it was really the people and the experiences that I had along the way that, that really impacted me greatly. I can't even imagine being out for that, that long. I mean, I have a brain that races and it's hard for me to be alone with my thoughts, as I'm sure many of our listeners can relate. So, yeah, you know, just going from that lifestyle, like you said, to this quiet, simple life, what were some of the benefits that you received from quieting down your life and simplifying? Well, first of all, um, I felt like I had no choice but to look at myself and to consider the thoughts that were going on in my head because when you're walking all day like seven or eight hours a day and often i was alone until i met some other pilgrims eventually but I, even when i met other pilgrims i didn't necessarily walk with them i spent a lot of time alone and so it forced me to really pay attention to what was going on in my mind and i noticed almost right away that there were the same thoughts going through my mind over and over again and so just being aware of what I was thinking about uh, was an experience in itself. Because if we're aware of, of what we're thinking about or if we're aware of a situation, then we can do something about it. But if we're not even aware, uh, it's difficult to make any change. So I had to first let go of many of those thoughts. One of the ways that I did it was um, a pilgrim told me a story. Uh, I had seen like piles of stones all along the Camino. And I wondered why. And this pilgrim told me, he said that 
it is said, if you pick up a stone and you put your sorrow into the stone, when you place it down, you leave some of your sorrow behind. Hmm. And I went on this Camino with many things. I was carrying a heavy backpack. I'm talking about, you know, metaphorically what was going on in my life and what I was carrying. And so the idea of being able to like set my sorrow down on the Camino was intriguing for me because I thought, well, maybe if I set my sorrow down, then I could open up my heart for more love. And if I could open up my heart for more love, then maybe I could begin to understand what my purpose in life was. So the first day I picked up a stone and I remember thinking that the pilgrim forgot to tell me like how to put my sorrow into the stone. So I just imagined it. And as I walked along, I rubbed the stone. And when the time was right, I set it down. When I put it down on the, the other pile of stones, right away, there was this energy that moved from me. And it was almost as though my sorrow was really leaving me. And so each day I did this ritual. And even after I picked up a stone for myself, I wanted to pick up more. So I, I would pick up a stone for my children and for my mom, my dad, and my siblings and friends that came into mine. And so by the end of the Camino, after 29 days of picking up stones and setting them down, I really felt like I was in a state of grace, that I had let go of all the heaviness. The, and, and sorrow comes in you know, many different ways. Um, and it's not all bad. It's, it's just you know, maybe, maybe life things that, that I was carrying. And I set them all down on the Camino. And that gave me the freedom to then just look closely at my authentic self and see the person that I was and the, the real person that I was and start to understand that person again and, and, and walk back to her. This is so beautiful. And mm -hmm. I, I can see your face lit up as you were talking about this. And I, I think, you know, this is actually, this, was, this is very similar to my path. And my TEDx talk was about removing the hard layers from my heart to let love in. And we yeah. can't easily do that. It's not something you just say, oh, just open to love, because that's not, that's not how it works. But there is a way mm -hmm. to do internal work, to strengthen internally, to let things go in order to open up your heart. And you see the weight that so many people are carrying. You can feel it. You know, as you as you meet somebody, yeah. they just carry it, and they want to share it with everybody, and connect on the wounds and the hard stuff. And oh my God, let me tell you what I've been through. And 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 it's like it's so joyous to connect on the passions and the and the good stuff. Also, like really to focus mostly yes. on that, especially when we're first connecting. So you're starting to look within, and you're seeing parts of you that that were covered. You know, it sounds like you unveiled you. Yeah, and often, you know, there were things that I saw that I didn't like, but there were also many things that I saw that I liked, you know, aspects of myself or my values or, you know, what I, what I wanted to give back to the world or, you know, things that I didn't have time in my busy life at home to think about, to, to really spend quality time thinking. And so um, walking every day gave me that time, you know, to think and to, you know, just go over what I really, who was it that, 
who is it that I really wanted to be in the world and what, you know, what did I want to do with, with my life? And um, walking is, is a powerful experience because you're actually moving forward. Um, and, you know, I, I've often said that, you know, it took me 29 days to walk the Camino. And with each step I took forward, I walked back to my authentic self. And in the process of doing that, discovered that absolutely everything I needed was right here within me. Um, but I couldn't find that at home. I had to let go and actually experience that journey in order to, you know, to understand. So you had your Dorothy Wizard of Oz moment where uh, she I did. fell. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's right here yeah. all the time. Um, and I, you know, I just uh, exactly it. <laughs> and I think so many of us <laughs> are out there looking outside of ourselves. And it is hard to believe until you see it. So what I want to know is like, what did you discover about yourself and what were some of those truths? Well, one of the early ideas that I had was this idea of finding self-love. Um, and my only interpretation of self-love well, always, always felt like it was more selfish, you know, more about looking after myself. Um, and I, so I had to like work through what, what self-love was and to understand that I as I said I had to understand my authentic self and then learn to embrace that and and be that authentic self so I think the journey to self-love for me was one of the most important um, uh, outcomes of that particular walk but also um, I, I was in a country where I didn't speak the language I you know, didn't really know the food that well. I mean, I knew a little bit, but the food was different. The terrain, walking every day and meeting villagers along the way. I think what it did was it opened up my mind um, just in terms of the world. And because you walk through these little villages that you wouldn't see unless you were walking. It's, they're not villages that you would drive through or that you would take a train through or a bus or anything like that. You'd have to actually walk the Camino to be on these villages, to be in these villages. And so I had this beautiful opportunity to meet people who have been living, you know, and it, it could have been like centuries of the same family looking after pilgrims throughout the years. Um, and so I got to uh, enjoy the very, very simple um, beauty and uh, kindness of strangers and it might be just you know, walking into a little village and, you know, one day I walked in and this, this woman said to me in Spanish, and I was starting to sort of understand a little bit of Spanish, but she said, whatever you do, don't make dinner, don't make dinner, don't have dinner, because um, the village was going to get together and make us dinner. And that evening there were five pilgrims and the villagers came in to the hostel where we were staying and they brought all the food they, they took over the kitchen and told us to go and lay down and rest and then they proceeded to make this beautiful like five course meal for us complete with wine and water and then they served it to us and then they insisted that they clean up after us as well that they wouldn't let us help with the dishes and this is like the, the kindness of these people because they honor pilgrims so greatly they want to help them in any way possible when i got home I started thinking of people in my life and people that I met and strangers 
as the villagers, as the people and, and other pilgrims. And I thought, well, what if you, you know, what if you just open, open yourself up to giving more? And I started just being more generous, I think, and, and more open and accepting. And, and that had a profound effect on my life. Because, I mean, to this day, pilgrims, you know, pilgrims will have each other, will have each other in our homes with, you know, without a question. I mean, if you needed a place to stay and you, you know, you had a you wanted to go to Belgium and you knew a pilgrim who lived there, you could contact them and say, I'm coming into town. And they would say, oh, come and stay with me for sure. Um, so we open up our homes, we open up our hearts, we open up our generosity to each other. And I found that the Camino is like a metaphor for life. You can take all the lessons that you learn on the Camino and then take them back home again and, and literally play them out in your life. And they work just as well. Mm. So for me, it was about trust, like trusting in humanity and trusting in people and being able to share in a different way. What I'm hearing is, first of all, really reframing self-love was important. And I think this is an important message for all of us because so many yeah. of us were raised to believe that self-love is selfish, that we don't take care of ourselves. We take care of everybody else, especially women, and put everybody yeah. else first. And often we shrink ourselves to make other people more important uh, because that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to yeah. be humble and noble and a martyr. And and what I learned <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, that when we start to take care of ourselves, our needs, our personal needs and, and love ourselves and have self-compassion, we actually model that for the people in our lives. We model it for our children. We model it for everybody we're in relationship with. And we're basically teaching them not only how to treat us, but how to treat themselves. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Who was it? I think Marion Williamson wrote in Nelson Mandela's inaugural speech, you know, who are we not to shine brightly so that others may shine brightly too? You know, it's, yeah. it, it, it's an example, but it also gives others permission um, to do the same. Yes. Yeah. So, so I love that. And, and I can see the process because this is often what I do with my coaching clients that um, yeah. not just the, the self-love, but the um, really overcoming a lot of fears and putting yourself in, out of your comfort zone, getting yourself into a place where you don't know the language, you've never done this before, you don't know the people, you're all alone. Yeah. You don't know the food. Yeah. You don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> no. And you're trusting. And so yeah. the trust is built. But I also want to touch on yeah. the, um, the unconscious bias that we, most of us have. I mean, I think all of us have it on some level. And I've been thinking about that a lot. Mm -hmm. And that word kept, came up for me as you were learning about the pilgrims and learning about the people, the villagers, and realizing the commonalities uh, you know, that's what's popping in my head, that we have more in common than we don't. And, and yes. that, that connects us. So, and, and you're talking about connection, connection with the pilgrims, opening your doors to people who have done, had a similar journey. Um, so can you speak a little more to, to that, to, to connection and to overcoming unconscious bias? Yeah, well, I think, um, like I said, the Camino is like a metaphor for life. 
So everything that we experience on the Camino um, reflects back to our life. And one of the things that I learned early on, I, I met this pilgrim, his name is um, Dino, the Greek. And um, it, on the Camino a long time ago when I walked, we used to introduce ourselves by our first name and the country that we're from. So that's why I call him Dino, the Greek. It's not as common today, um, but that's the way it was. And when I met Dino, he showed up and he had like brown leather pants. He had this red bandana around his neck. He had a huge backpack and um, he was like just a, a wild character. And, you know, he, he showed up and I immediately judged him. Immediately, I thought, oh my gosh, what is this about? Why am I, you know, why is somebody on the Camino in leather pants? And, you know, why is he acting the way he's acting? And I didn't like him. And then um, Dino came over and he introduced himself to me and he said, you know, um, you know, Susanna, he called me Susanna. He said, on the Camino, <laughs> some of us are going to become saints. And I said, oh, Dino, you know, you've got the wrong person. I'm not here to become a saint. I'm not here for a religious journey. Uh, I'm just, you know, I'm just walking the Camino, uh, you know, for, for my own purposes, like for my own personal journey. And uh, he said, oh, no. He said, I'm not talking about the meaning of the word saint in the way that you understand it from the the church's meaning of the word saint. He said, I'm talking about the real meaning of the word saint. And I looked at him, I said, Dino, like, what is the real meaning of the word saint? And that's when he said to me, a saint is someone who faces their fear. Well, I knew on the Camino that I was going to have to face my fear. I was afraid of being alone. I was afraid of falling off the mountain. I was afraid of not speaking the language. I was, a, I was afraid of being robbed. I, I was afraid of a lot of things when I walked the Camino. But I thought if I could be one of Dino's saints or his idea, not Dino's saints, but the idea of what, what Dino described as a saint, then maybe I could face my fear and that would help me to overcome uh, this idea that I wanted to contribute something greater to the world. And so Dino's a perfect example because he taught me right away to stop judging because we don't know what lessons or valuable information or experience we're going to get from somebody um, or you know, the, something that will happen with that encounter if we open up our mind to the possibility that you know, every single encounter in life is, is, is important and valuable, regardless of, you know, how insignificant it seems. And so I think with Dino and with the idea of not judging people and then, of course, not judging myself, because that was the second lesson. Once I stopped judging other people, then I realized that I had to stop judging myself. Um, and, and that became a part of, a, of um, you know, a big part of the journey. Do you know the Greek smart man yeah <laughs> he is <laughs> so a lot of people talk about um being fearless and i have a problem with that i i believe like what you just said makes sense to me that we face our fears that we're always yeah. going to have fears and i don't believe the the goal is to be fearless i think the goal is to not be afraid to face the fear and to really um, yeah. not let the fear get in the way of our dreams. I, for me, like yeah. this whole woman of value is about making your why, your passion, your dream bigger than your fear. And 
yeah. often because we have different kinds of fears. You know, there's the fear of like, well, you could fall off the mountain. That would be a real fear. If you fell off the mountain, that would be dangerous. <laughs> yeah. But the chance of yeah. it happening is probably small. And, and if you're cautious, you know, you can limit the chance of it happening. But the other kind of fear is the fear of like going for something big, like publishing your book or having it made into a movie or getting up on a stage and speaking about it. And that's where a lot of people shrink. Yeah. And so we need to really work on those fears of keeping ourselves small, like we said before, that we have to shine our light to help others, others shine as well. And I think, as I said, once, once I started to understand who my authentic self was and really embrace that, and, I, and even recently, you know, as recently as maybe a year ago, I started to understand that when I was a child, I was um, in a nonconformist. You know, if everybody was standing, you know, upright, I was on my hands standing upside down. I was constantly doing things differently than everyone else. And over time, you know, as a child and then a teenager, whatever, over the years and in the corporate world, I started to conform because society told me that if I conformed, then you know what? I would make more money and I would have more things. And if I made more money and had more things, then I could give more to my children than what I had. And I thought, well, that's what it isn't that what we all want to do we want to give our children more than what we had so I bought into that whole idea and I really think that for me you know talking about facing fear was once I realized that oh okay I could be that non-conformist again I could be the person I authentically it was or am and um and be okay and it's acceptable and once I embrace that, then fear becomes something that shows up, of course, because, you know, it's normal to be afraid. Um, but, but I would do it anyway. I didn't, like, stop myself because I was afraid. I just thought, okay, this is a part of the process. Fear is a good thing. It makes us think. It makes us be smart. It helps us to survive. It's, it's a mechanism that we need. Um, it's just that you know, it's not a mechanism that necessarily has to stop us from being all that we can be in the world. Mm. So to use it to grow and to be yeah. intentional about the, the steps, yeah. and the big leaps that we take, but not let it be a roadblock. So let's go to the present. Um, so you, you did this amazing journey, this pilgrimage. Uh, so what are you doing? What are you creating in the world today? Oh, boy. <laughs> well, <laughs> after the Camino, I ended up a few years later, I started telling stories of the journey and people kept asking me to write a book. So I finally decided to write the book, My Camino, which was the, my experience on that first Camino. And then when I finished the book and it was off to the publishers, I thought, okay, well, this is a perfect time to walk the Camino again. And so I decided to walk the Portuguese Camino and I embarked on that journey. And it just, I started writing my diary, which turned into a manuscript. Um, so I was actually writing a book as I was experiencing it because now I was uh, an experienced writer. It's always easier to write your second book. And then, um, and then over time, uh, I continued to embrace the Camino. It became, it, it was, it's been a part of my life. Uh, it, I've never let it go. I've always talked about it. I've always told stories. 
I do uh, like you life coaching, but my life coaching always, I always end up using the Camino as a metaphor, regardless of if the person has walked the Camino or not, because we all understand that idea of being on a journey. And then about maybe seven or eight years ago, I, um, I was out walking in the forest because that became a regular uh, practice for me. And I um, came home and went and sat down by the water. And when I was sitting there, I thought, hmm, I feel like, like taking off my shoes and my socks. So I took off my, my boots and my socks and I put my feet on the rock. And as soon as I set my feet down, there was a surge of energy that went right through my body. And um, it was like a kundalini charge. <laughs> and I just kind of looked up at the sky and started to laugh because I realized that the next step on my journey was about going barefoot. And it was going barefoot so that I could be connected with the great mother earth because she was really communicating with me in the forest. I was feeling a deep, profound connection with her. Um, I, I learned wisdom that I couldn't read in a book, but it just all of a sudden I knew things. Um, and I knew that she was teaching me. And the best way for me to, to really connect with her was in my bare feet. So I started walking barefoot and then I was running barefoot too. And like, it's not really running. It's more like a free movement in the forest. And um, I started doing handstands again. I started climbing trees again. I, and it was almost as though this inner child that I had found on the Camino was really coming out again in, in me as an adult, as a, you know, as a mature woman, really. And that, um, that I had this, this, I don't know, this sort of impish way about, about me that I thought I had completely lost and, and found, I found it again. Mm. So, but what happens when you go, when you go barefoot, you know, out in the world, uh, in the city, in restaurants and stores, um, it's highly judged. It's incredible. People think that barefooting is unhygienic. They think that it's dangerous. They think you're going to hurt yourself. You're going to cut on, cut your foot on glass. Like, people are so afraid of, of being barefoot. And I think it's a perfect reflection of the fear that we live in all the time. I mean, if we're just afraid to walk out on the grass, uh, and that's so simple, and you know, the chances of being hurt are so slim, uh, I can't imagine what else is going on in people's minds, you know, if, if you know, if they're just thinking about barefooting as that dangerous. So I ended up designing a pair of shoes which um, don't have a sole. They're actually soleless shoes. And um, I started wearing those and then, you know, they would let me in restaurants and stores. But um, as recently as this morning, I went into a Starbucks in Oakville, Ontario, and I was approached by the manager and, and asked to either put on shoes or leave. And, you know, I questioned her and said, you know, why? And she said, well, there's a health code. I said, no, there is no health code in Canada or in the U.S., by the way, um, mm -hmm. that says that you can't go into a store or restaurant barefoot. And um, I tried to explain it to her just kindly. And then I said, you know what, uh, I'm going to leave. And so I, I left um, because that's, you know, that's where our society is. We're, 
we think barefooting is unhygienic. Um, I would never shake your hand with my foot. I would never eat food with my foot. I don't put my foot on the table. But we do all of those things with our hands, and then we eat with our hands, and that seems to be acceptable. So for me, it's been a long uh, time uh, where I've educated a lot of people and just tried to encourage them to think about it in terms of connecting with Mother Earth and you know not thinking about it in terms of being dangerous. Um, so that's been quite a journey. I love the inner yeah. child, but it, uh, that to me really resonates because um, I also grew up totally free. I write about it in my new website and my about page. Because there was this free, yeah. wild child who loved to play in our backyard, which was a pine forest, and we had creeks that intersected, and it was full of adventure and creativity. And it was a great start for me because I'm an artist, and it really kind of brought out all of this wonder. And I think, again, yeah. over time, we conform. We have to figure out, like, or do we have to get married, and we're supposed to have children, and we're supposed to work and make this amount of money. And so recapturing your inner child is such a big part of adulthood. For so many of us, it's, yeah. it's get back to play. And I have a client who's in Disney right now, and um, she went for mm -hmm. her friend's 70th birthday party, which I love. And <laughs> oh, that's great. She posted a picture in our Facebook group of her just letting go, dancing, and she wrote at the bottom, I am not overthinking I am having fun. <laughs> and I could see the joy in her face because she was yeah. letting go. It's like none of that second guessing. Am I going to be judged? Is it okay with everybody? And when we can live from that yeah. place, we're authentic human beings. So it's, yeah, mm -hmm. I love that. And we're free. It gives you a sense of freedom. And, uh, you know, it's not so much that you're careless, but it's just this carefree approach to life. And so it's not about saying, well, I don't care what people think about me because I, I do care in some, at some level, mm. but it doesn't bother me what people think about me. And that's a huge difference for me. That made all the difference in the world. You know, I just say, it's okay. If you don't like my bare feet, I'm okay with that. Yeah. I'm really okay because I know something and what I know I believe in because I've experienced it. So, mm -hmm. uh, so it really helps to get through that. Yeah. And I, I think that also, uh, if we're trying really hard to make everybody like us, we can't be true to ourselves. Yeah. You know, it's just impossible. And no. so finding our voice is such a big part of this. It's the journey of yeah. owning who we are being okay, you're going to piss some people off. It's part of the package. If you're it's conforming okay. all the time, right? It's, it's <laughs> just, that's the non-conformist. It's not to be yeah. unkind. It's to be <laughs> kind to yourself. Okay. So let's talk about your vision for the future. I know you have a movie in the works. Um, I sold the movie rights to my book a long time ago, many years ago. And, and I worked on co-writing the screenplay for many years as well. And the project was on, and then it was off, and it was on. And now um, we have a producer, actually two producers in Spain, one in Galicia, which is where the Camino ends, the region in 
Santiago is actually in the region of Galicia, and the other producer is in Bar Barcelona. Um, so two different ends of Spain, like the opposite ends, which is really great because the Camino spans the entire country. Um, and so now we have, um, my producer now has four Academy Award nominations and he's quite a successful producer and the opportunities are, are grand. But when I sold the rights to the film at the very beginning, I remember thinking that I didn't really care about having a film about my journey. Like uh, this was, this had nothing to do with me and my ego and the idea of, oh, wow, a film about me. No, I wasn't interested at all. The way I saw it was that many of the stories uh, from the Camino, like the Sorrow Stone story and meeting Dino, and there are several others, those stories I see as gifts that were given to me, that I was put in an experience to have, to be able to tell a story. And the stories are universal and they teach us many lessons. So when I sold the movie rights for the film, I sold it with the idea that if this is a story that was meant to be shared with the world, then the movie will get made. And if it's not, it's okay. It's, it's completely okay. Well, interestingly enough, now after you know a decade or longer, um, the, the movie is getting, it looks like it's getting made. Um, and the thing is that that we are interested in a story about a woman who walked the Camino. And we're talking about a middle-aged woman. You know, you mentioned um, Wilde earlier, and, you know, she was in her 20s. I yeah. mean, this is a story about a middle-aged woman with three teenage children. That kind of a story hasn't been, you know, as, as interesting as, you know, as maybe other stories about younger women or even younger men. So it's a, it's a great time to, uh, to be able to tell that story. And so I believe that it's, it's really, I believe that it, if it gets made, it's meant to be. And if it doesn't get made, I, I'm truly okay with it. Um, I'm sure there's another story out there that, you know, that needs to be told. And so things are just lining up right now. They seem to be lining up um, just more easily. And whenever something moves with ease, then I, I believe that it's, you know, it's the right time and the universe is ready for it. So it's exciting. Um, don't get me wrong. I'm super excited, but I'm, I'm just, you know, pretty, um, pretty much taking my, taking my lead from the great mother earth. <laughs> She's the one that's, you know, that's sort of giving me, giving me the nudge and telling me, you know, when to, uh, you know, what to do. And I, I listen to her and it seems to be working. So, but, but there's, so there's the movie. And then if, you know, when, when the movie gets made, I want to, I want to share stories. I would love to be on a platform and speak all over the world and talk about the Camino and talk about self-love and, and about being a woman and, um, and also, uh, you know, about healing yourself, because I really believe that we're all capable of healing ourselves to some level. There's always, you know, limitations with that. But, but the idea that once we discover our authentic self, and once we start to understand the way that our body works, and the way that our mind works, and the power of our breath, and when we know the power of our breath, if we can command our breath, we can command our mind. If we can command our mind or our brain, then we can command our body. 
And so then we have some, it's not a ego control. It's just having some uh, command uh, and the ability to work with all the cells in our body and, um, and kind of talk to them and, you know, partner with them to, to help them to do what they know how to do. And I've now discovered the Wim Hof method, which you mentioned earlier. And I, I, I couldn't believe that there's actually a method out there that follows my philosophy to a T and even more than a T. It's absolutely brilliant. So I'm teaching the Wim Hof method as well. Wim Hof is um, a Dutch man and he's known as the Iceman. And he holds 26 world records, all something to do with being in the cold, um, whether it's he was immersed in a container full of ice um, right up to his neck for an hour and 53 minutes. Mm. And he was able to um, maintain his body temperature and his skin temperature as well. It only went down a couple of degrees. Um, so what he did was he discovered that and, and this is over 30 years, okay? He didn't just discover it. Over 30 years, he spent a lot of time breathing, um, doing uh, different types of breathing and yoga. But he developed this one type of, of breathing method, um, which involves um, uh, a cycle of 30 breaths, where you take in a really strong, deep breath, and then you exhale only the CO2. And you continue to do this, and then you do a breath hold without any air or CO2 in your lungs. And then what that does is it puts your body and your brain into a, um, a very stressful state, but a survival state where we have to now use not just our prefrontal cortex, which will tell us you know, what we've learned and logistically how we you know, get through a, a dangerous situation like that, but we bypass that and start working with the reptilian brain again. And so the reptilian brain gets to practice what it knows how to do. And, and through that practice, it starts to get stronger and stronger. And it can now, you know, adapt. Uh, we, we can work with it. We can start to work with it. And then the other thing, there's three parts to his method. The, the second part is um, cold water immersion, uh, which starting with cold showers, but now you'll see me. <laughs> if you look on social media, I, I live on a lake and I have an ice hole cut and I go and I sit in the ice water for two minutes um, and just sit in absolute peace, completely calm, allowing my body to adapt to the freezing cold water in a survival way. And when we practice that adaptation, then we can adapt to different environments. Um, and then the third piece of, of the um, method is willpower. So really refining willpower so that you can, you can use it um, to get you through life. And mm -hmm. it's all about, it's really all about, you know, teaching, getting out of the way so that your body can do what it knows how to do. It knows how to use um, you know, fat efficiently, like brown and create brown fat so that it can use the white fat. It knows how to um, improve the circulatory system. It knows, it, it knows how to reduce inflammation, but we have to get out of the way to let it do that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. And my son actually um, takes cold baths and cold showers after he runs. 
and he's been trying to get me to do it. (laughs) I'm too chicken at this point, (laughs) but you're inspiring me and hopefully many others with your, with your stories. And I, I mean, I think that everything that you're talking about makes sense to people, even if they're not ready to try it. I think just knowing that you can be in control of your brain, your breath, your willpower, it's, it's all really amazing. And the other thing I, I notice a lot when you're talking is is the lack of attachment to the outcome, and I think that ah. it's a it's a really beautiful thing when uh, when you talk about the movie and you're not attached to how it's going to look or when it's going to get made, and being able to detach from outcome is is so freeing. So we're talking here about you know opening and freeing and. Uh, I think that's just really important. So I just wanted to highlight that. Thank Um, you. Actually, that's really good feedback for me because I worked for years and years and years at trying to detach from the outcome. And um, so, so thank you for reflecting that back to me. Ah, It is important. Yes. So now we're in the lightning round. I'm just going to ask you a few more questions. Um, Quick, quick questions to probe a little deeper into your mind. And so are you ready? (laughs) Yeah, of course. Um, What is the best advice you can give to a woman who has given up her value in the past and wants to become a woman of value? Honestly, the first thing that comes to mind for me is to put your feet on the ground. Put your bare feet if you can, on the earth, connect with the great mother earth and feel her energy and feel her love. And when you have her love, she has, she has your back all the time. She feeds us. She gives us water. She puts a roof over our head. She clothes us. She loves us. She heals us. And so what I have found is that by connecting with her, just by putting, just put your feet on the ground. And if you have snow right now, it's okay. You can go out, step in the snow, put your feet on the snow, and then just smile and laugh and go back indoors. But begin with grounding yourself, um, physically grounding yourself. And then from there, you have a strong foundation. And from that foundation, you can build and build and build. Do you have a book or books that you could recommend that have been helpful to you in your journey? Yeah, (laughs) The Seven Laws of Success is one of my favorite books Mm. by Deepak Chopra. It's a little, tiny, tiny little book. And, um, you know, you talked about the law of detachment. He talks about the law of detachment. And it's easy. What I like about this book, and it's, it's been out since the 90s. It's not a new book. Um, but it's so easy to follow because you can just practice those, you know, simple seven laws. And if you can get those figured out or even three quarters of them figured out your life will change for sure Mm. so i'm noticing a theme of simplicity here (laughs) i think we tend to (laughs) overcomplicate everything right it's you know the whole journey has been from busy 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 to slow and i I find that i i mentor people who are speaking and often when we try to speak we try to cover a million things and we want to give so much to people and just taking a few things and going deeper 
is so much more valuable because we can't take it all in and it's too much. And so those simplify, simplify. Yeah. Like just put your feet on the floor and follow your breath. You know, like it's, it's, it's about that simple. Yeah. Um, But you're right. We try to complicate it because we think, Oh, okay, I've got to get everything sorted. I've got to make sure I have the right, even nutritionally, like with Wim Hof and even with barefooting, I learned that when I was connected to the ground, um, we, there are negatively charged electrons that come from the ground and connect with our body and discharge the positive free radicals that we often have too many of, and that reduces inflammation. If you reduce inflammation in your body, you can adapt to so many different scenarios, whether it's the nutrition that you're giving your body, it will take in that nutrition. I mean, there's no point in eating a nutritious meal if your body can't take it in. So it's really about getting back to fundamentals, you know, just, um, yeah, connecting with the ground, breathing, (laughs) and, you know, walking, a little bit of meditation, maybe, and um, a lot of joy and fun. Yeah. Yeah. I (laughs) mean, a tree. Right. (laughs) Hug a tree. If you can't climb it, hug it. I used to do this thing (laughs) in in, in my backyard when I was little where I would take like a, a little sapling and I would ride it like a cowboy, <laughs> like a horse. Oh, and wow. so I still, like yeah. I remember that feeling of like just being wild and free. And so that's connecting with mother earth, connecting with nature. It's also very feminine. Yeah, A lot of people who want to get back in touch with their it, femininity, yes. we lose that. Like when you we're talking about the corporate world. That is our masculine energy. It's let's do, let's build, let's, let's compete. And then when you tap into yeah. the feminine power that we have, that so many of us mask, that's where so much of our true wisdom lies. So that nature is a great way to connect back to that too. Yeah, it is. And it's our authenticity that is our power. You know, it's the more authentic you are, the more powerful you are. So when we try to be something we're not, if we try to act masculine, when I was in the corporate world, I wore a suit, you know, I acted like a man. I spoke like in the meetings, nobody wanted to hear a woman, you know, a woman's voice. You had to, you know, you had to sort of mimic uh, a man. And, um, and I just like got to the point where I couldn't do it anymore. I, I didn't even know who I was. Um, and it's nobody's fault. It's not like I'm saying, oh, you know, it's, it's all the guys. It's their fault. I, I bought into it. I went right into it head first. Um, yeah, because there weren't that many opportunities for me as a woman. I had to do that or I felt like I had to. But today, no, nope, we don't have to do that. Today, there are different options. And the more authentic we are, the more powerful we are. I agree. I mean, I, I'm such an advocate for yeah. quiet leaders and women going back to being a leader with their warmth and their relational qualities, because that's what makes you, that's your yeah. superpower, you know? And, and, um, and I think men, men are learning, their conversations are starting. I mean, this is, it's really an exciting time. We have a long way to go, but we are coming into our own. I think that the awareness is there. The consciousness is rising. And I think often men are blamed for the issues and they're not to blame. I think that there's so much un- unconscious 
stuff that went on for so many years. And now that consciousness is rising, I think that we're all growing, that we're all capable of growing. I mean, you know, you can go to the opposite of the toxic masculinity and that became a big topic of discussion. I think when you start polarizing in that way, we, we can get into trouble. Um, but yeah, yeah. I so agree. let's, let's hear one of your favorite <laughs> quotes. Um, I know you, you mentioned a few great quotes during this interview, but do you have another, a favorite woman of value quote that you can share with us? Well, um, yeah, I love Marion Williamson. I, I think that woman is absolutely brilliant and I love the work that she does. And I love her speech by that she wrote Nelson Mandela's inaugural speech where she says that, you know, who are we not to shine brightly so that others may shine brightly too? And I just think that that, you know, giving, sometimes we need to give ourselves permission to shine brightly. Um, but by doing it, we get so much more from it because others shine brightly in front of us. And then we, it's reflected back to us. So it's like the gift that keeps on giving. Mm. It doesn't stop. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the other, one of my favorite quotes is, is also by um, Wim Hof. And, you know, what he said is um, he, he talks about the idea of feeling that how important it is to feel something and that feeling is understanding. Um, and that in order for us to really um, experience something, it, we've, we've, you know, we have to feel it. And the thing is when you get into freezing cold water, there's no question you feel it. Mm -hmm. There's no question everybody is afraid. Every time I get into the lake, before I step in, there's a little, you know, gush of fear that comes over me. And then I think, oh, no, no, this is the great mother in her cold um, season. You know, there's nothing. It's a sensation. It's the great mother. And so and she's going to take care of us. I mean, obviously, to some degree, we have to be careful because you don't want to get hypothermia. But but there are once you understand it you can embrace the great mother in every one of her seasons. And yeah. she's going to teach us through that uh, feeling. Lovely. I first heard the Mary Williamson quote in coaching school and I have, you did. Uh, yeah. I've put it into uh, made an art piece out of it actually for a friend of mine hired me to do like the calligraphy and I painted in watercolor, these trees around it. So Maybe I'll post it when I post the show notes. Oh, I just thought of a quote too that I often use and it's by the Buddha. And it's again, very, very simple. And what he says is, there is no way to happiness. Happiness is the way. Well, that means it's really not about what you do. It's about who you are being in the world. So if you're being uh, in a place of happiness, then everything about what you're doing comes from a place of happiness or love. Uh, so, um, yeah, I just think that it's not about so much about what you do. It's about the place that you, you do that from and the mm -hmm. place that you're being. Yeah, I think Einstein said something about how we see the world. We can either see it as hostile or friendly. It's it's. It's the same world, I, and I don't remember the quote exactly, but, you know, it's all perspective. Yeah. It's how we see things. And it is. 
But yeah. feeling too, and, and I love that you brought up feelings because, um, you know, in my work as a dating and relationship coach before I did this work, and I'm still doing that, I often people will say, oh, I don't know what to look for in a partner. How do you come up with your list? And so today in my Facebook yeah. group, I said, it's pretty <laughs> simple. You figure out how do you want to feel with that partner and then figure yeah. out who he needs to be for you to feel that way. That's pretty much it. So yeah. it's, it's all based on feeling. It's not a checklist of, you know, six foot one and, you know, he has to have a full head of hair. No. It's really about does it feel right? What's the energy exchange? Who do I become in his presence or her presence? All right. One yeah. last question. And this is a big one. How would you like to be remembered? Okay. To? <laughs> I think I would like to be remembered as a person who was accepting of uh, people in the world and someone who is compassionate and understanding and loving. And um, I know that's a, you know, that's a big, a big order uh, to fill. And every single day I work at it. It's, I haven't, you know, I don't believe I'm there yet. And I even wonder if I'll ever be there, but that's how I would like to be remembered. Well, it sounds like you are being that so much of your life now. And I, I don't think that it's going to be a big stretch for you to be remembered that way. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. Oh, but so no thank you for asking. They're great questions. Uh, yeah. Thank you. How can our listeners get in touch with you? And if you have a free gift to offer, let us know what that is. My website is suekenny.ca or .com. And also um, I have a Facebook page called My Camino Book. Um, you can also reach me on Instagram at Camino Sue. Uh, and um, a few other places, but that, those are the main ones. And yeah, I'd absolutely love to, to give a copy of, of my book, My Camino, and I'll sign it uh, to whoever wins it. And uh, I'd be happy to share that with, with somebody out there. If you would like to step more fully into your value, grab a free copy of The Ultimate Guide to Becoming a Woman of Value on my website, thewomanofvalue.com. Just click the link at the top of the homepage. And if you haven't already done so, be sure to click the subscribe button in your listening app. And if there's something in this episode that inspired you, please share it with others. Because the more we share these inspirational stories, the more women of value we will have in this world. I'll see you next time.